Welcome to Camp Kaiju Monster Movie Reviews. We're your hosts, Vincent Hannum and Matt Levine. And we're talking about all our favorite monster movies, the good, the bad, and the downright campy, and asking if they stand the test of time. Traditional kaiju, creature features, space invaders, the supernatural, and everything in between. All strange beasts welcome here. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zach Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty. Your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zach Pack on social media and contact the Zach Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. So thank you to our wonderful guest hosts, our uh, cast and crew, select cast and crew of Tearsucker. Um, I'll let you all introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Steven. I am uh, the director and cinematographer of Tearsucker. Hi, I'm Danielle. I played the character Deb, and I was the first assistant director for the film. And this is Allison Walter, and I play Lily in Tearsucker. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's been so Yeah, long. thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. This... I just watched sorry, just watched the movie last night. I loved it. It's uh, it's very, very unique. So I'm excited to talk about it. Cool. Great. Awesome. Uh thanks for hanging out, friends. Please rate and review wherever you listen to Camp Kaiju. You can also share this podcast with a friend. And go ahead and keep sending us some listener comments. You can do that on our Instagram at camp underscore kaiju or at our email, campkaiju at gmail.com. Also check out our website, campkaijumoviereviews.com. We'll have more reviews about uh, the movies that we talk about on the podcast, as well as some other stuff that we don't talk about on the podcast. Uh, Special content. Obviously, all of our episodes are linked on there. So check it out. Again, that's campkaijumoviereviews.com. Yeah, Matt. And what do we have coming up on Camp Kaiju? So much good stuff. Uh, July has been Kaijulai, so we've been going back to some of the original classics. Uh, Godzilla Raids Again, the second ever Godzilla movie. We'll be talking about that. Um, The original King Kong is playing at the Heights Cinema in Minneapolis on Monday, July 31st. So if you're in the area, make sure you check that out. We'll be talking about that movie as well. Uh, We have Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters, All Out Attack. One of my favorite mouthfuls of a title that I have uh, ever read or had the pleasure of saying. Uh, Starship Troopers is coming up. Lots of good stuff. Um, maybe even some bonus content that we don't even know about yet. Well, Tearsucker wasn't on our original itinerary, but here we are. I know Allison and Danielle from our college days as uh, undergraduate actors at the University of Central Florida. What What 10 years will do? <laughs> look at you now <laughs> crazy how much time it feels like yesterday that we were all in you know voice class at 8 a.m 100 <laughs> percent. i want to hear how this podcast came to be i know that like that's probably something you guys have covered on other episodes but i just like i'm curious how you guys met and how this became a thing yeah um matt and i met uh at a job we had in minneapolis and camp kaiju started during the pandemic, um, Godzilla versus Kong was coming out and I got down my rabbit mm. hole of Godzilla kaiju movies. And I went, man, I just need to talk about these with somebody. So <laughs> I, I started uh, at first it was like an Instagram thing, but then it became a podcast. And I thought, I thought, oh, Matt, he knows movies and way more than I do. And I thought, please join me. 
Uh, I definitely don't know monster movies very well, though. And that's Vincent has kind of like coaxed me out of my monster movie shell a little bit. Like that was never like a kind of movie that I really focused on all that much. But I, you know, I love the classics, Godzilla, King Kong, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Um, totally. Yeah. It's been a fun journey. Like I've learned so much more about monster movies over the last two years, year and a half, just thanks to Vincent. So it's been fun. That's awesome. I know. I feel like I need to go down that rabbit hole because I haven't seen a lot of the classic ones. And I feel like maybe I'll just start listening to your podcast and that will teach me where to go. <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> Please do. We, we, they're not all classic. Some of the movies we talk about can probably be skipped, but hopefully it's clear from the episodes, which ones those are. <laughs> and yeah, Allison, was it last year you brought tear sucker to my attention? I feel like yeah, it was a while ago. I think we were talking because I was we were in Minneapolis because Sam is from Minnesota and we started talking about maybe trying to meet up on our way from the airport and that didn't work out. And then we were chatting and I think I was like, well, our movie's kind of a monster movie. <laughs> it's not like a, you know, in a lot of ways it has some of the same elements. And I think I saw that you had a podcast about it. And then yeah. And then it took, you know, obviously it takes so long for these things to happen. I think we just finished shooting around that time or something that we first talked about it. Yeah. I think the term you used was monster adjacent. <laughs> and I thought, okay, <laughs> sure. That's good enough for us. <laughs> also, a, new, uh, a new genre. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, the, uh, the, 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 the character of Tom is 100% a monster, but what we had to, we at Matt and I had to get on the same page with like, like for this show, like, you know, typically a monster is maybe something more than human. Uh, mm -hmm. whatever that means but we actually had this conversation while we were talking about what our movie monster pick was going to be uh because i said what mine was and Stephen was like that's what i was gonna say and oh. then we went down a whole rabbit hole of like what is a movie monster but i, wondering I get to keep mine because i said it first <laughs> <laughs> i love that i love that and i think i think we i don't know i i might throw some things with Tom that I'm like, ooh, could he be more than human? I don't know. Probably not. But I think it's going to be a fun conversation. Um, we want to hear from you all about your experience on the production and um, your backgrounds, artists and influences. Yeah. And Sam's really sorry he's going to be here. He's working on a, a short film that they keep changing what they're doing. So it's been kind of crazy. But I feel like the three of us have heard Sam talk about this so much that we could probably, if there's any questions you wanted to ask Sam, we could probably uh, give you a general idea of what he uh, was thinking or doing uh, when he was creating this. <laughs> I just want to say like, uh, it was, I had to get past watching my friends, Allison and Danielle in the movie. Uh, that doesn't take away from the movie at all, you know, but it's just like, oh, I do know you too. <laughs> and I think anyone who's seen somebody they know on screen, it's like, oh. But eventually I, I saw past that um, and got really invested in the story. I know it's always strange, um, even I think for us, you know, watching it, because especially, you know, in real life, we're such close friends and we play friends in the movie. And so there's things that mirror real life and watching it and realizing like, oh, that isn't like for me watching you, Danielle, you know, like, oh, that's Danielle, but it's not, it's Deb. And it's kind of a surreal, strange thing when you really know people. Yeah. And although Allison and I's relationship is very 
grounded in reality in the film Allison and Sam, who plays Tom, uh, the titular character, are also in a relationship. And I have to say, their relationship is real life. In real life, is very different than it is in the movie. So do not worry. Watchers, Dan is not here uh, to represent himself today. He's on set, um, but it's very, it's been fun. Uh, you know, as we've done some press for the movie and going to the festival that we um, had our world premiere at, for people to meet Sam and see that he's actually like a lovely, warm, caring, kind person. And they're like, "What? How did you look so evil and creepy? And like, what? What? How did this come out of your brain?" Um, so it's been really fun to like have people get to know him as a real person but yeah thank god that relationship is not like the one in the movie (laughs) (laughs) um yeah we had a on our last episode um we were talking to a friend of the pod uh zach linder of the zach pack and he was he was like tear sucker does he like actually suck out women's tears and i hadn't seen the film yet and i was like boy i hope so that's kind of like what what you envision quite literal yep you know, with a title like that, you have to deliver. I was going to say that. Yeah, it's a very evocative title. If you don't have actual tear sucking, it's kind of a letdown, you know, although it's disturbing yeah. at the same time, of course. <laughs> um, so what is Tear Sucker about? We keep talking about it. But um, for those listening, what is this? What is this movie? Um, tear Sucker is about a psychopathic serial killer who has a fetish for consuming women's tears and he targets uh women that he perceives as vulnerable um who generally are trying to overcome something or uh you know better themselves or get to a better place emotionally yeah it's rough stuff (laughs) yeah it's it's not exactly a comedy Although I have to say in the audience, if it's a very different experience when you watch it by yourself, because it's like, how the hell am I supposed to feel? But in an audience, there's a bit of a cathartic release and people laugh, they gasp, they cheer. And I think there's a bit more, you have like a bit more permission to like feel out loud when you watch with other people in an audience i think you know a lot of monster movies are that way like a lot of the classics watching on your own is a completely different experience than watching with a theater full of people and we've definitely found that as we're um going to screenings and stuff with the film that it's so much more fun to watch with an audience because you just get you get a lot of really fun reactions from the crowd for sure Right. And people, you know, when you're uncomfortable and this movie makes you very uncomfortable, or at least I would I would hope it does. Um, I think so many people, your human reaction is to laugh because what else you're like, what else can I do with this feeling? And what the fuck is happening? And yeah, I think the people we know who've seen it separately, like some of them have seen it in the theater with people or and then alone, so that they even had a different viewing experience watching it in the theater. And we were um, very lucky to premiere this at the Chattanooga Film Festival and had this amazing audience who just was so, uh, you know, invested and present. And we were just so lucky to have them. But we really had fun hearing like when the weird laughs came and when like, I mean, there was a woman who literally stood up and like yelled at the screen, which was, you know, the, the best compliment I think you can get uh, as a filmmaker. Um, but yeah, definitely not a comedy, but it has, I think, some dark comedic um, undertones. 
I'm glad you said that because I did find myself laughing a lot. And but like all the reviews I, I have read, you know, understandably so and accurately so painted as like a deep, emotional, traumatic movie. And I was I just didn't want to offend you all by saying, like, no. I laughed a lot at this movie. Understanding that, yeah, the stakes couldn't be higher um, as well. I think with the subject yeah. matter. I would imagine, especially in a written review, where there's no like conversation and tone that no one really wants to be like, yeah, I laughed so hard at this movie about emotional abuse and psychological gaslighting. <laughs> like, it's like no one probably really wants to say that, I, I would imagine. I don't know. What do you think, Danielle and Stephen? <laughs> I mean, I think uh, it's one of those things, too, that it's exploring really, really dark, heavy traumatic subject matter and I think it would almost be miserable to watch if there weren't moments of levity in the film and moments where you can have that release from the tension and be able to just like get back to a normal place emotionally and then it builds again and I think that's part of the beauty and the torture of this film is that you just, you get to where you think you can't take anymore and then Sam licks his lips again, you know? He even gets a bit tighter and tighter close up and makes you stay there for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of Steven's, that's Steven's specialty. He likes to see how uncomfortable he can make people. Yeah, I think yeah. that the subjects and the themes <laughs> are, you know, very serious and heavy. But then I think when you know you take something like this, where it's intentionally turned up to eleven, like you take something that is a serious subject, but once you make it so exaggerated, it's hard not to laugh at it because it's just absurd. Like someone's literally sucking tears off someone's face. Like how can you not have moments where you giggle? <laughs> yeah. There was one moment where I kind of laughed a little bit and then it cut to like a close up of the first victim with, you know, the blood prosthetics on her face. And I immediately stopped laughing. I was like, whoa, like this it suddenly <laughs> got very, very dark and serious. And I I always admire movies that like play with tone like that, you know? Yeah, that was an effective moment. Pulled the rug out from under you a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk about uh, more about the film festival. Only Chattanooga so far. Uh, that's the only festival that we, uh, well, we didn't really even submit to it. We were invited to it. Um, and we, we've submitted to uh, one other uh, that hopefully we'll get into later this year. Um, but yes, yeah, so far only at Chattanooga. And yeah, it was an incredible experience. Uh, awesome film festival. Uh, just so many great films and, you know, material that I actually in Enjoy watching uh you know I, i've been to a lot of festivals especially like locally here in los angeles um where it's just kind of like a mixed bag of you know uh, all different genres and it can be a bit um tedious to to get through a shorts block but uh chattanooga was all quality stuff um you know it's a genre fest or comedy sci-fi so it's just like uh all very entertaining and a lot of uh, diverse voices. Um, and it was cool because a lot of the uh, filmmakers were present, which is always awesome. And a lot of the filmmakers came from out of town. So, you know, they're there to watch the movies, you know. Um, it's not like going to a, 
one of these festivals in LA where everyone just goes, watches their movie, then goes home. It's like, we traveled to Chattanooga, you know, to do this. We're, we're going to watch some movies and, and meet some people. So, um, yeah, great experience. And like the perfect sized film festival as well. Like, um, not crazy big where it's like intimidating, but not like too small. There's just like, it was a great community. You know, we were able to, you know, meet so many of our peers. Yeah. I really enjoyed myself. Yeah, like summer camp for filmmakers, super fun. Yeah, I'm gonna say too that aside from also obviously having all the filmmakers there, it's the first festival I've gone to where I met people who are not at all involved in film and TV. They just are movie fans and they have become people that go to the festival every year to watch movies because they like them. And you know, I was sitting next to a guy who was like drove down from Pittsburgh and he's like, yeah, I just love watching movies and I work as an accountant, but this is fun for me. And I thought that was really cool to just have like true hardcore genre movie fans that were just there to see new content and support indie film. We went to a Godzilla festival convention last year called G Fest in Chicago. And it was just like that sense of community. And I didn't know what to expect, but everyone's just having a good time. They're there because they enjoy the movies mm -hmm. showing or the, the guest speakers, the panels, and yeah, it was it was a one of a kind feeling. Really cool. That's so fun. Just a couple of months ago, I went to the Minneapolis St. Paul International Film Festival, which is also a lot of fun. I think like 260 movies throughout like two weeks, basically. Um, but the best experiences, in my opinion, are like artist Q and A's and like director Q and A's and stuff like that. Like it's it's such a valuable thing, especially when directors fly from like all over the world to talk about their work with an audience who is engaged and has like a million questions about it. Um, so yeah, I always appreciate that. Did you have a similar experience at Chattanooga, like a very kind of interactive audience? Definitely. Like we had a great Q and A, um, and just in general, people that came up afterwards and wanted to discuss and ask questions. And I know that was a big part of when Sam wrote this is he didn't want it to be clear cut or one experience. He wanted people to have conversations and have it promote discussion and have people say like, yeah, were you an Android? Were you not an Android? Like all these types of little things that are kind of little nuggets that are in there to make people want to talk about it. And I think that it was cool. We had to, we definitely had an audience that was interactive and cared to ask questions. Cool. That was, I just got to say, that was a question I asked Matt before I was like, what was up with that Android monologue? What is hey. the <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I can speak a little bit for Sam. Uh, he didn't want it to be a clear answer. Uh, he kind of wanted to pepper that in. He had played early on with a version, I think, that Stephen, they'd done a lot of rewrites on this that was more kind of sci-fi based and it was more clear cut that that was a part of him. Um, but then he realized that maybe it's even more terrifying if this guy is just terrible abusive asshole you know maybe he doesn't need to have this thing so I think at this point um I know the question is more is he really or is he just obsessed with this idea because he's a psychopath who cannot feel things and he relates to them and he thinks he's one of them but it's just a something he's feeling in his mind um but he definitely I think presents a lot of qualities that an android would have which to me is terrifying either way yes and that that scene I think I also like like is he an android or not fine but what was also interesting in that moment was is he actually revealing a little bit about himself in this moment because the way Sam plays it at any rate um is is very let's say the most earnest or sincere I feel like Tom is in the movie 
And I was like, is he just, has he been practicing this in the mirror or is this like a genuine moment? Right. There's no, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I it's, think that it's interesting if you look at it as, you know, you can look at almost our whole movie can be looked at on a, on a very literal level, right? Like this is literally a guy who just sucks tears and he's just a creep, or you could try to dig into some of these deeper layers. And I think, um, you know, looking at the Android type creature as a symbol of, you know, men who cannot feel and prey on women in order to feel something um, that is a way you can look at it. Or I think you can watch it. I think watch it more literally. And I think there's no wrong way to watch our movie. I'm yeah. curious, Stephen, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not for me to decide. <laughs> that's one thing. That's one thing, uh, you know, you learn very fast when you put out a movie is everybody's going to uh, come at it with their own interpretations and 99% of the time you're not going to be there to address those questions you know right. um, I have had people on um, uh, other movies I've made like message me on Instagram being like can you clear this up for us mm. <laughs> uh, but you know usually that's not going to happen usually the <laughs> audience is going to watch it they're going to hopefully talk about it a little bit draw their own conclusions and then walk away um, so you know whatever intentions we all came at it with in the beginning doesn't really matter. It's out there. It's not ours anymore. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about the history of this movie, how it came together, the ideas, the impetus behind it? I'll, I'll start a little bit, um, sort of speak for Sam a bit. So uh, Sam was working on another project that wasn't like writing something else that wasn't really coming as easily as he wanted it to and was kind of stuck. And we were pretty newly dating at the time. I guess newly is in like the first maybe six months of dating. Um, and uh, I have some of my own, you know, personal trauma and things I've been through over the years. And, you know, when you're newly with someone, you don't always like, you maybe share the broad strokes, but you don't get into like the nitty gritty yet. And we were sort of at that point in our relationship. And I honestly can't even remember what movie it was, but there was a movie that he was so excited to show me. Like he like, we like made it a whole thing and we sat down and, you know, something happened in the movie that was very triggering to me personally. Um, and it, it was new enough that I was a little bit embarrassed by my reaction to it. And I started crying and didn't really want to uh, get into it. And Sam was just, you know, apologizing profusely that, you know, he was so sorry that he'd show me this thing and he didn't know. And I was like, of course you didn't know that like, you wouldn't intentionally show me something to upset me. Like, why would you do that? And we started talking about how it's interesting and there's this like deep responsibility you have when you know something that's upsetting to someone or that's, you know, a scar for them. And that as a responsible partner, like Sam really is, you know, in the real world, he's looking out for me. And now if there's a scene like that in a movie, he's like, oh, do you want me to fast forward? Are you good? Like we check in with each other and that's, you know, the kind thing to do. But in that moment, he said he had this flash of a thought of like, well, what if I did do it on purpose? You know, that would be so messed up. Like, you know, and he said this in another interview, but sort of this like with great uh, power comes great responsibility. <laughs> but, you know, what if you use this knowledge of what someone's triggers are for bad instead of good? Um, and that was sort of the spur of the idea. Um, and I know he took it to Stephen pretty much right away with like an early draft. Um, Danielle and I were on a road trip at the time and he told me he was writing it and by the time I got home, he was hoping he'd be finished and he, you know, sped out that first draft and it went through some revisions and we shot it, I think, what, three months later. Wow. 
Yeah, the process was really fast once, you know, Sam had that first draft. He, I mean, I think we have uh, quite the filmmaking family here. And I think he really wrote to everyone's strengths. Like not just, of course, Allison's like amazing performance, which he had no question that she would be able to nail, obviously. Uh, and my amazing performance also. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he wrote to like, he knew he wanted Stephen to direct it. And he he knew like the tone and that Stephen could handle kind of Sam's like greater ideas and sort of like channel those in his voice that is very particular and specific. And, you know, I think that's ultimately why he was able to just like take it from page to screen because he just wrote to all of our strengths as, and his own, obviously too. I mean, he's, he wrote that role knowing what he was going to do with it. I think, you know, he, he, I, I think he just used that himself and, and knowing that great after Allison is and knowing the, the experiences we have as filmmakers and indie filmmakers being pretty scrappy and sort of making it work with a very small budget um, so I think it was very smart of the way that he wrote things and, and, you know, not like doing any crazy car chases or, you know, like jumping out of buildings, you know, he wrote a true indie film that he knew we could make and, and do well. Yeah. I mean, we have what, three locations total, you know, very small, like five principal talent. I think how many people were on the crew, Danielle? Cause Danielle was also a AD. So you would know. Uh, I can't remember, like maybe like 12. <laughs> Most days, 12, some 15, very, very small footprint. You know, Steven directed and shot it, um, which obviously came with its own benefits, but also challenges. Obviously, myself acting and ADing came with its own challenges as well. But none of us are the type of filmmakers that it's like, oh, this is my job and that's the one thing I do. Like we all pick up each other's slack and when we ha are playing double or triple or quadruple duty, you know, we all are able to step in. I mean, Allison has had her hands full with this role, but was still able to I mean, produce in, in a lot of ways or help with costuming, you know? I mean, she just like filled in the spots where it needed to be filmed filled because we are such a small but mighty bunch yeah how long have you all been collaborating together yeah i met these two uh almost a decade ago yeah yeah About 10 years steven yeah. has a connection to ucf as well um he was actually in orlando for a little bit but we never knew each other at that time which is kind of funny we had mutual friends um, and so actually a mutual friend of ours, Vince, Taylor Frost, uh -huh. um, introduced Stephen and I for a project when I was living in New York and Stephen was working in LA. Taylor was working on a film with Stephen, thought of me for a role, uh, mm -hmm. sent it to me and I was like, absolutely, I'll do it. <laughs> and that was, yeah, like just about 10 years ago. I decided to buy a one-way ticket to LA and started working on, Stephen had a YouTube channel making like weird and fun sketches and shorts. And I kind of got a taste for what it was behind the camera in addition to being in front of it. And 
yeah, we've been working together ever since. I quickly pulled Allison because, you know, <laughs> I'm like, I know amazing actors out here. You got the behind the scenes people. I got the front of the scenes people. Let's do this. Nice. Yeah. And um... you, I think you pulled me into the sketch. So grateful. I was like, oh, I'm so glad that <laughs> you pulled me into this little group because it was such a talented group of people. I recognize a lot, uh, some other names in your credits on the Zoom uh, calls. Chloe and Kristen, I saw were thrown in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got to keep it in the family, you yeah. know? <laughs> and then Sam and Danielle met the um, pre-pandemic, right, Danielle? Yeah, Sam and I met, uh, Sam and I finished a feature the week before COVID shut down. We, I was just like a random hire. We just really hit it off. And I was a first AD for a feature he was producing. Um, yeah, which we luckily finished, like I said, a week before shutdown happened, before we, I think on our, at our wrap party was when uh, the day that the NBA shut down. We were like, oh, I guess this is a thing. Okay. But luckily <laughs> we finished that feature and Sam and I really got along and Sam approached me about another project later in the year and um, he had a an eight episode <clears throat> series he was producing that he wanted me to first AD and it was still COVID times, but we were one of the first productions up, like approved again for SAG up and running after lockdown. And he was like, you know, I uh, have some crew positions to fill. Do you know anybody? And I'm like, oh boy, do I. I get all my friends some work. <laughs> I just was like, oh, COVID officer? Yep, Allison can do that. <laughs> like, what's a COVID officer? Googled it. There's no answers yet. It was such a new thing. It was all brand new. And so we ended up kind of almost like working with SAG to create some of those guidelines because it was all so new. Um, but I was just happy to have any work because it was the pandemic. Um, and then we all like quarantined and lived at this hotel in Moreno Valley, which is like deep Riverside, like the elbow of California. <laughs> um, and, you know, basically all became a family. And Sam and I became close friends. And, uh, then uh, got together at our rap party for that <laughs> and have been together on what, almost three years now ever since. So, um, and then as I remember at that, during that project, uh, one of the nights at the hotel, pulling up Steven's YouTube channel and all of us sitting around and watching some of your sketches and short Steven and uh, <laughs> Danielle and I both being like, I feel like Sam, you and Steven have the same weird dark sense of, you know, humor and style. Like, I feel like you guys need to work together on something and finally got to happen. <laughs> Definitely. Nice. They definitely have a kindred, a kindred spirit for weird and uncomfortable <laughs> movies. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> Didn't you feel so comfortable watching it, Vince? <laughs> that kind of brings up a question that I was going to ask before. You were talking about like watching the movie with a crowd, like at a film festival and with other people. Um, but it also seemed to me when I was watching it, you know, unfortunately, just by myself at home, uh, it seems like kind of a pandemic movie to me. Like Lily's character, of course, is kind of craving human contact a little bit. And she's been lonely for, you know, quite a while. And you even have like the joke about how awkward Zoom meetings are. Um, so I was curious, like, do you? Sorry, what's that? I think the Zoom meetings are horrifying, I think. <laughs> Yes. One of the scariest parts of the movie for sure. Yeah. Uh, do you, you know, do you all kind of like see the movie the same way as like a pandemic movie or did that not really like uh, come into your minds while you were working on it? I mean, we did shoot it during the pandemic. I personally um, 
didn't imagine it taking place. I, I, t- I imagine in my mind taking place just after the pandemic and the world is open. But to me, how isolated Lily is, is really important to, you know, one, her state of mind, why she ignores so many red flags. She doesn't really have anyone looking out for her other than Deb, who she only has a phone relationship with. So in our minds, uh, Deb and Lily live like a few hours away, like maybe San Diego, Los Angeles, like far enough that it's not convenient to hang out. Um, but I do think in the real world, post-pandemic, we all kind of adjusted to more FaceTimes with people and more Zoom calls. And I know my job went from being in person to on Zoom and you know from home. Um, and I think seeing how if you were someone that's already kind of lonely and isolated, how that could make your world even more uh, small. And I think I, I was reading it, one of the reviews and I was like, wow, I don't think I realized that, which I'm sure was intentional um, on your part, Stephen uh, and Sam. But uh, you never see me on screen with anyone other than Sam until that final shot where Deb and I are finally in person. But I'm pretty much alone the whole movie and he's the only person I'm physically with ever. Yeah, I think can happen often in real life abusive relationships or controlling relationships. Um, obviously we know there's a pattern of people, you know, pushing away their friends and family as they get more and more involved in something. And this person becomes their whole world. Uh, and I think it's interesting that for Lily, like that probably would have happened even if she had had friends around, but it was just like, she was such an easy target because she was already so alone. Yeah. That was something I picked up on and right. We talk about themes, like everyone can have their own completely different interpretation. Uh, One thing I picked up on was the use of uh, social media and um, this this connection, literally what we're doing right now, connecting through a screen. Most of the people Lily connects, like talks to is through a screen, even her best friend. But ironically, Mm -hmm. they're the most distant. Mm -hmm. So what does that say about, I don't know, (laughs) the rise of, of that kind of communication in our world? Yeah. And I think the, um, the sort of veil of the safety of the internet and feeling like, I think her big, you know, vlog where she pours everything out, uh, she feels safe enough to do that. Cause it feels not real, you know, when you're sharing online and even right now, we know that people will listen to this, but it doesn't, it feels like it's just us talking. And I think that it can be interesting that, you know, whether it's someone tweeting something or writing a blog or posting a video, um, you have the safety of being behind a screen and not really feeling like it's real. And then the reality kicks in like, Oh, people really watch this and they're commenting on it and they're sharing it. And now it's on Reddit. And now my story is out there. And, um, there's, you know, there's a good in that people can connect online, but it's also pretty dangerous. I mean, Tom finds Lily by pausing her video and seeing what park she goes to. And it's, you know, I think in real life, there's versions of that that happen and, uh, can be kind of scary. Yeah. I'll just yeah, just chewing on all that. There's a there's a lot I think you you all touch on quite effectively. Uh, let's take a take a little break in our in our programming here. Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zach Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty, your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zach Pack on social media and contact the Zach Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. And it's time for Minya's Mailbox. Uh, I'm just curious, like what's your, what's your favorite monster movie or some of your favorite monster movies? 
Well, I what I was gonna say, and again, this prompted a this prompted a conversation between me and Steven when I said this, but my favorite monster and monster movie is Samara from The Ring. Because yes, she is a little girl, but she's got something going on, right? She's not just a human. So I think it qualifies. And Steven agrees. This was not the argument. But he was just mad that I thought of it first. Um, <laughs> she's my favorite monster because it's like, man, I saw that movie at a very young age. I think I was maybe a little bit too young to see that. And it stuck with me. And I've watched it since. And I'm like, yeah, this is a solid, like, this is a very, very solid film. But I was traumatized <laughs> for the many years. I don't think I watched another scary movie for like, 10 years after that. I think that was the last scary movie I saw. And then it it was like, all right, I'm good. <laughs> I I get uncomfortable still when there's like the white fuzz on the TV, <laughs> for sure. So she's my favorite monster from, I don't, I would not quantify the ring as a monster movie, but Samara okay. to me is a monster. I think that's legit. That's my answer. Good answer. Steven? Yeah. Uh, I like the Cenobites a lot. I'm a big mm. fan of the Cenobites from Hellraiser. Yeah. Um, just very cool character design. Very unique and uh, creepy and you know, cool practicals. Who's your favorite Cenobite? I like the chatter quite a bit. <laughs> nice. Nightmares fuel. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, see, obviously we're answering this question. We're quite horror people. We come from a horror lens for sure. That's definitely our our genre of choice because not all monster movies are horror movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I instantly go horror when I think of monsters, so. I yeah. need to expand my knowledge of uh, monster movies, but question, do aliens count as monsters? Because, you know, they might be... Yeah, I think yeah. so. Are so you going to say Men in Black? Yeah, but uh-huh. I have a specific choice. Vincent D'Onofrio as the buck. When he turns yeah. into that cockroach thing. Don't... Danielle's making fun of me because I am such a Men in Black nerd. <laughs> it's my favorite movie of all time. And I Sugar. love it. 1997 Men in Black. <laughs> but when Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> turns into that cockroach thing with the things, I'm making, I don't know if people can see this, but I'm making the the, cl- the cl- mouth claws. Terrifying. <laughs> Love that monster, character. For sure. Hilarious. I think that falls into like the comedy monster movie genre, but I'm going to stick by my answer. <laughs> I buy it. I buy it. I assumed you were going to say Alien, the Ridley Scott oh. movie. So I'm I'm glad you didn't. That's great. Unpredictable. If you haven't revisited Men in Black in a while, the sequels are meh, but go back to the good old original. They just had their 25 year anniversary. That makes me feel very old, but uh, I feel like you should cover it on the podcast. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, kind of thinking about the 90s. It's not, uh, I don't think he was ever in a movie, but one of my favorite monsters of all time from books and TV was uh, Slappy from R.L. Stein's Goosebumps. Oh, yeah. That, I loved those books as a kid. I think that really, they really formed a lot of my tastes growing up. <laughs> Night of the Living Dummy. Night That's a movie. Dummy. I, well, they, is it, I don't know. They did a, they did a uh, you know, TV episodes. I will tell the story very quick, but my nephew, <laughs> when he was five, asked for a Slappy Dummy for Christmas. And my sister, like, did not want him to have it because why? 
terrifying but he asked like all year that's all he asked for and so he got a slappy dummy for christmas and if you have like supplemental materials for your podcast that you like post a picture or something i will send you a picture of my nephew thrilled to death holding his slappy dummy on christmas morning he loved that thing for one year until his brain when he turned six years old clicked that it's horrifying and he asked my sister to put it in the trunk and drive far away <laughs> and then it returned the next day right it showed up again uh-huh. <laughs> they still have slappy dummy in um yeah he finally realized like what a horrifying thing this is uh they still have it in their garage and my sister's like one day when he's like 11 i'll just scare the absolute shit out of him or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's one of the more it's like a, a favorite halloween time of year i'll just put on reruns of goosebumps and that episode is still one of the most more eerie creepy tense ones out there oh yeah 100 percent. totally inappropriate for a five-year-old oh man memory and i'm so young when i saw it that i really can't remember what it's called or if is there a monster movie about like a very tall woman it's like the six the 60 foot woman or Uh, something like that i have a memory of watching this movie on tv when I was a kid and being totally freaked out by it, but I feel like I should revisit that. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Vince? Yes. Uh, Attack of the 50 foot woman. I'm <laughs> assuming. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. If you watch it again, you probably won't be scared, but I could be wrong. I, who knows? <laughs> um, let me ask you, was, were you remembering a black and white movie or a colorized version? I think it was black and white. Okay. That's like, Maybe the more classic, but in the late 80s, there was a colorized remake with, oh, what's her name from Splash? Daryl Hannah played Oh yeah, 50 Foot Woman. I haven't seen that one yet. I I, I was so young. I don't remember exactly, but it's very funny. I just, the tall lady. (laughs) It's a fun movie. It's campy as hell. (laughs) Oh yeah. It really stuck with Allison, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's great. Well, we really only have a few minutes left. I mean, I, I, I guess I would like to hear Matt, you can add on to this too, if you want themes or, or your personal aesthetics with the movie and like what you have to expand upon. Sure. Is there uh, anything specifically, uh, you're interested in or that caught your attention? I guess just on like a practical level, uh, it was shot digitally, right? I'm curious, like what kind of camera you used. Uh, yeah, we shot on uh, my camera that I've had for the three, two or three years now, which is the Red Komodo. Uh, it's what I use a lot for a lot of my work I do as a, as a DP. So yes, dig- shot digitally on the Komodo, and uh, we borrowed borrowed my gaffer's uh, lens kit. He just a couple of DZOs. Um, yeah. There was one shot that I was going to ask about in particular where I think like Tom is kind of like in the middle of the frame and like the camera sort of like tilts over in like a circular motion and then it like keeps on going to like into like a flashback yeah. basically. Really love that shot. And I'm just curious, like, um, I don't know how you got that idea and like how if, if that was like really difficult, like just logistically to pull off. Yeah, well, you know, so much of the, so many of the shots in the movie are static, you know. Uh, locked off on a tripod so that you know with the intention of you know you you're forced to really sit and watch some of these very intense or awkward or strange moments 
Um, so yeah, I think when there is camera movement, especially camera movement so distinct, you 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 know you notice it and pay attention, and uh, you have to assume it's probably there for a reason. Um, and you know, just like on a practical like storytelling level, you know, it's it's there to show a transition, right? It's like okay, we're we're seeing something new. We're going back in time. Um, and then I think it's also, it also marks kind of a, a shift in the story and maybe in the tone a little bit, because you mentioned the shot of, um, Emily, the, that's, uh, you know, we cut to that close on her face. It's a little bit, um, grotesque. Um, I think, yeah, there's a bit of a shift around that time where it's like, oh, the stakes are very high here. Uh, so yeah using that kind of transitional movement um i thought was was good there and then uh practically <laughs> yeah I, uh, it, it was you know the boys figured it out <laughs> i was like <laughs> i didn't show up I, I did not show up to set with a strong plan of how to pull that off i was like hey trevor this is what i want to do uh how are we going to do it <laughs> and trevor's not he's he's my gaffer so it's not really been his job but he's just good at this <laughs> so uh yeah trevor and erica just kind of improvised something um they just you know clamped a tripod head to a heavy stand put a ton of sand on it and that was it <laughs> not sure how familiar you are with uh the instagram shitty rigs but it's kind of like a it's a fun uh crew sort of crew people post when sets even like even like very high professional sets will get caught on it sometimes where it's just like that shouldn't work but it really does and it looks so shitty but it works. Okay, I disagree. <laughs> this is not a shitty rig. This, you know, I, I have done plenty. I've done my fair share of shitty rigs. And yeah, many times I have deserved to be on. But this was good. This was solid. It was reasonably safe. <laughs> no one was in danger. Oh, it, 100% it worked. But it shouldn't have worked. <laughs> Sometimes the simplest solution is the most effective, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just in general, like one of the things that I like so much about the movie and something that I'm like, um, um, what's the word interested in, I guess, just as like a movie lover and a writer is like combining spectacular fiction like horror and science fiction with very dark and real social comments and social commentary and things that are going on in a lot of our lives. And we kind of touched about that a little bit recently, but um you know, I'd love to hear from the three of you, like why you think that kind of combination is effective to kind of blend like a horror vibe with like very real issues going on in real life. Yeah, that's a great question. Do you want do you want to think about it while I talk? You want me to go first? <laughs> Allison, you have a thought? Um, I, Yeah, I guess. Um, as far as like why it works, I think that people, if you were just like, hey, let's have a conversation about emotional abuse as violence, people would be like, no, that doesn't sound very fun. I don't want to do that, you know? And I think if it's not a matter of like tricking people into thinking about things, but if you wrap an idea up in something that's entertaining, people are much more open to it. And I think um, one of the big themes for me was that emotional abuse is violence. And I think in horror movies, we're typically used to seeing a lot of physical violence and, you know, gore and slashing and people getting physically hurt. 
Um, and I found it's been interesting seeing a lot of people who are big horror fans and watch a lot of horror who are really uncomfortable with this movie because I think they've kind of maybe you numb out numb out a little bit to what you're used to seeing, but watching someone be, you know, psychologically tortured is different, you know. And I think we as a society don't always think of emotional abuse in the same way as physical abuse and we don't give it as much weight. So um I think wrapping it up in something that's entertaining and visually interesting and you know that you can have your moments of you know comedy and uh also moments where you feel I just think it makes people think. And I would like to hope that whether or not you love this movie, that afterwards you're thinking about it and maybe it spurs some thought, which I think is a effective use of filmmaking. Yeah, totally. I mean, I totally agree. And I think, I think the way that cinema and specifically horror is moving these days is in that sort of like elevated horror commentary genre. And I love it. And I think it's giving a typically looked down upon genre a a platform in a way that it hasn't ever before. And of course, you know, I'm not, obviously we're not like Jordan Peele or anything like that, but I think voices like that, Ari Aster, like who are creating these horrific stories that have like underlying themes or messages that are like actually getting out to the masses and even being recognized, you know, at award shows, even though award shows are, are bullshit or whatever. But I think it's really opening the door to have these not so fun conversations in a really fun way way uh, as a horror lover myself I mean I just am very excited for the future of horror cinema because I think the door has really been like kicked open in a big way for uh, for this genre genre which I think is fun yeah I, I do think you can overdo it <laughs> sure uh, my storytelling philosophy I, I write scripts as well um, and I, I I think I felt this way about tearsucker too is that you know I I like to start with the story elements that interest me, you know, like the the character, the plots, and then see what themes emerge and then make sure those themes are being done justice. Um, as opposed to starting like, I want to tell us, I want to make a movie about, you know, this, this very topic. heavy, yeah. serious subject. Yeah, I, I tend not to start from that point. I feel like, you know, if you look at... <laughs> uh, horror movies in recent years i could point to maybe one or two i'll just say it like the the movie that comes to mind uh that i that came out i think in the last year was men did you guys see that yeah so i I don't know what everyone's opinions are on that movie but you know it felt like somebody trying to do an elevated horror movie that felt like they started with i want to tell a very important story about you know uh uh men and gender roles what have you um and i want to do it you know wearing the clothing of horror mm-hmm. and i i feel like it just fell flat and became very pretentious very <laughs> weird which i appreciated but very pretentious in the end like just the symbolism was just dripping with symbolism it's like okay i get what you're trying to do here but it's just like a little much so i don't know i i i, I you always have to find your themes and treat them with respect but you also don't want to preach to the audience, right? So it's the finding that delicate balance 
of being a good storyteller and also, you know, having something to say. Yeah. And knowing what you're saying, but also knowing that the audience is going to walk away with how they feel watching the film ultimately. So how you feel with the themes or what you take away from it. I kind of, I think you do a good job if everyone in the audience feels differently when they walk away, which I think we've definitely experienced with Tearsucker. I mean, we've had, after Chattanooga, for example, we had people like rolling out of the theater, like high-fiving, laughing, being like, you guys are crazy. And we had people walking out with like tears in their eyes. It was such a gamut of experiences for everyone. And it's like, oh, whoa, okay, this affected you in a completely different way. And that's also cool. And also like, you know, surprising and fun and like part of, I don't know, kind of the cool part of, making something so weird (laughs) yeah i love it oh it's great i i loved how um how seriously you took an an objectively absurd situation um i you know but uh but but i think that i hope that's a compliment because um it was done really sincerely and really well i thought yeah, I was going to just add about themes that I think it's also interesting that like, you know, we're all individual people who worked on this and we all could have had completely different ideas in our head of what we were saying, you know? And I think like for me as the actor playing the person who's gone through the abuse and the trauma and all that, some of those themes and ideas were very present to me while making the film and very front of mind for me. But, you know, other people in the movie may have been really approaching it very differently. And I think it's the same as audience members I think it makes a film interesting if everyone, obviously we want to be on the same page and on the same team, but if we're all kind of bringing our own unique uh, goals and perspectives to it at the time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, yeah, I I guess I just, yeah, I didn't want to take away from like the, the, again, the emotional stakes of the film. When I say absurd, I just mean a man sucking tears out of a It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. It's ridiculous. And that's why, you know, the title. So like you said, it's so on the nose and we, you know, we kind of hope people see it pop up and go, this can't really be what this is. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's just enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. To wet the appetite. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Where can we watch Tearsucker? How do we get a hold of this, this motion picture? So it's available now on digital and VOD. So Apple TV, Amazon, Vudu, all of the like cable um, video on demand services, uh, Hoopla, which is actually part of the public library system. If you're someone that's not, you know, active on the streamers right now, um, but there's a wide variety of places you can see it. It's also as of July 25th going to be available on DVD if you're a you know physical media person, which you know, when we heard that, I was like, oh, no one really buys DVDs anymore. But we found at Chattanooga, we met a lot of people who are like big DVD collectors. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Guys, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, am I forgetting places? I mean, there's a, uh, I'm trying to think of the main ones. Those are the main ones, I think. But um, I can send a little list to you, Vincent, if you want to put it in the show notes. Yeah, so we'll definitely out. link out to all sorts of um, access points for the movie. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you all. Um, any other final questions or thoughts from anybody? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess we should say we should say this was a completely indie film. We love, uh, we are SAG, and we support the SAG strike and the WGA strike, and support indie film because uh, we're not doing it to become billionaires. Uh, so yeah, we gotta say that. We gotta send love to all of our union brothers and sisters striking right now for sure. Yeah. Thank you all for hanging out. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend, leave a rating and review, and visit CampKaijuMovieReviews.com Instagram for more monster movie content. We can't thank you enough. Camp Kaiju is recorded in Minneapolis, St. Paul with theme music by Terrence Jackson and Mania's Mailbox by Ben Cook Feltz. Oh, and before I forget, Camp Kaiju is sponsored by Zach Linder and the Zach Pack, powered by Coldwell Banker Realty, your source for real estate, home rehab, fixing and flipping for investor clients, and residential buyers. Reach out to the Zach Pack today for real estate services. Follow the Zach Pack on social media. Contact the Zach Pack for investment opportunities. Links in the bio. Something's not right. Honestly, I don't really feel like anything's getting any better. I'm Tom. Lily. There are some people in this world who are at their core victims. Born prey animals. I'm not gonna let this happen again, okay? You have a role to play. And you play it over and over and over again. I would never. Woo! <laughs>